Good morning, Mendham Hills. Yeah, all right, you're awake. Good stuff. My name is Mike DeLuca. I'm the youth pastor here, and I am just privileged to be here with you. It's my joy. Every time I get to do this, I love it. I take it with honor. Um, and I approach this morning with a lot of gentleness and a lot of sincerity in it, and I hope that you can feel that from me this morning. I want to talk to you about something that I am super, super passionate about. But before I do, would you just pray with me? I know we don't typically start our sermons that way, but this morning, that's how I want to do it. So let's pray. And if you would, I want you to pray to God right now. And I want you to ask him and just talk with him this morning. Maybe it's just a good morning, Lord. And Would you pray that he would open your mind, open your heart to whatever he has for you this morning? And if you would, and if you would even pray for me, that I would be useful to you this morning. Well, Lord, we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the summer of 2017 where I asked the girl I was dating to marry me. And I had this elaborate and ridiculous plan. I had all thought through. I planned to propose on the DeLuca family vacation in the Outer Banks on the beach on the day of our seven-month anniversary. Now, the problem was the combination of me being a very bad liar and my now wife being very good at telling when I'm lying. And it's really hard for me to surprise Olivia, and you can ask her later, like, yeah, I don't really get anything by her. But the months leading up to this grand proposal, I tried everything to keep her off the scent, off the trail that I had this engagement planned. I even made her think that it wasn't going to happen because I just hadn't saved up enough money to buy the ring yet, which led to her crying because I didn't care enough. And <laughs> oh, man, even though I already bought it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Anyway, the plan was we get to the Outer Banks on a Sunday. Our dating anniversary was on the Friday, so I had to spend all week just hanging out, pretending like it's fine. But I'm stressed out of my mind. Friday comes, I take Olivia out for an ice cream date, and my two brother-in-laws are on the beach, you know, with uh, white paper bags, filling them with sands and those tea light candles. You know, it was a whole long story, I'll tell you later. They couldn't um, light, so there were just candles in there that weren't lit. It was great. (laughs) Oh, man. Long story short, we get into an argument at the ice cream date, talking about engagement. Oh, it's just... (sighs) We drive back to the house, (laughs) this is a true story, that we're hanging out at, oh man, because my brother-in-law is, you know, I'm texting them and they're just like, no, we're not ready yet, stall, okay. So then Olivia says she needs to use the restroom, so we go into the house, and then my my niece, my sweet little three-year-old niece, she's so excited, because like we tell her, like we're going to surprise Olivia, we don't tell her she's getting engaged, right, but we just tell her like, yeah, we're doing a party thing, and then she's just, ah! We're going to surprise you. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, it's ruined. <laughs> Dang it. You know. <laughs> but at this point, I'm, co- I'm committed, so onward. Eventually, we, you know, we go for a walk. I say, oh, let's go for a walk, Olivia. And we make our way onto the beach. And Olivia sees the bags. She sees, like, this, like, walkway my brother-in-law's made. 
And everyone on the beach is just like standing there, just like waiting. <laughs> and then like everyone, like, you know, on the beachfront, there's like houses. Everyone's like out on the porches with like, like, whoa, what's going on? Olivia's like, what's that? I'm like, I don't know. Let's go check it out. <laughs> Eventually, I get down on one knee and ask her the most important question I'll ever ask another person. Will you marry me? And you're all asking, well, and then what happened? <laughs> and, you know, and she said, yes, yes. Now, what does that have to do with today? Well, in that scenario, I was asking the most important earthly question I'll ever ask another human being, ever. And her answer to that question would dramatically shape her future, and it would dramatically shape mine. And today I want to look at a conversation that involves a man who asks a specific question that I think you need to ask because it dramatically shaped his future, and that question will dramatically shape yours. In this series, Pastor John, he's been taking us through the book of Acts, and I don't know about you, if you, I've loved it so far. And if you don't know, if you don't remember, it's written by the detailed physician Luke. He loves details, giving us all the good stuff. He's one of the witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, and after Jesus rose from the grave, well, that's what we've been asking. What happened? How did the news of Jesus spread? There was no TV, no cell phones, no the Bible. So what happened? And if you haven't been here the past few weeks, I encourage you, go back, listen to Pastor John explain what happened, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the first gatherings of the church, the fact that 300 years after Easter, there were over 30 million Christians and Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. How in the world did that happen? Really interesting stuff. Go check it out. And maybe now you're thinking, okay, now what happened? Well, people were sent out to spread the news of Jesus. And you know what? Started to catch on. If you go and read the first couple chapters in Acts, one after another, so-and-so goes to this location, meets someone, shares with them about Jesus. They believe it, have faith. And then, well, today we're going to be talking about something that John has been alluding to leading up to today. Baptism. There are honestly so many stories to choose from for me to talk about, about baptism in the book of Acts, but one that really stood out to me the most was later in Acts, in Acts 8. After Peter's sermon, you know, people started to go. They left Jerusalem. They scattered, right? So, like, Peter had this huge sermon, and then after that, they leave. They scatter throughout Judea, throughout Samaria, and they go for two reasons. One, because that's what they were told to do. Like, go. And two, because they were being persecuted, so they had to go. So in Acts 8, we meet a man named Philip. And Philip is known as one of the first evangelists, and he meets a man on the road. So let's read what happens. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury in the Kandaki. 
which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And so the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. There's a softball. Yep, here you go. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And I just imagine Philip just like smiling. He's talking about Jesus. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders, stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Do you catch what's going on? The spirit directs Philip, hey, go stay near the chariot. Overhears what the eunuch is reading. Then explains what he's reading is actually about Jesus. And scriptures don't go into detail here. I would love to know that conversation, right? But evidently, somewhere in Philip's discussions with this man, this eunuch, he had, he had to have introduced the topic of baptism because he asked what, what prevented him from being baptized. And Philip must have explained, like, I can only think like that, like, how Jesus himself had commanded that any who believe in him should demonstrate their faith through baptism. And, and we can assume Philip gave the eunuch this background because that's what the eunuch asks next. He sees water and asks if he could be baptized. Now, they're in, the, they're in the middle of the desert, on a desert road. And this just so happens, here's water, enough water to baptize. The odds of finding a pool of standing water in the middle of the desert, very, very low. And, and so the eunuch recognizes the rarity of this opportunity, which is why he seizes on it and asks to be baptized. The eunuch didn't wait for the possibility of another pool later. He asks the very interesting question. Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And that makes me stop. And I was reading this a lot these past couple weeks, and I began just asking that question. I want to ask you, hey, look, in two weeks, we're gathering as a church. We're just not going to be here in this building. We're going to be at the lake. Oh, look, there's water. <laughs> What's... What's, yeah, there'll be water. What's preventing you? What's standing in your, what, what, could, what could be standing in your way of being baptized? And I think it comes down to three overarching reasons. Some are going to be simple to answer. And others, I think, will be harder for you to hear, harder for me to say. And you might not like me at the end. 
But today's, I want to be honest. I want to have a humble assessment of what I think could be standing in your way. And my hope is that I can equip some of you to be able to, to talk about it more. If you've already been baptized, just talk about it more. So you can share with others. And others, if you've never been baptized, I hope that you can decide to be baptized two weeks at the lake. So without further ado, the first reason you might have for not getting baptized is, I don't get it. You don't understand what it is or the importance of it. So what is baptism? Real quick, allow me to answer from a physical viewpoint. Baptism is the ceremony during which a person in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, is submerged in water. That's what it is. And the primary word used in the New Testament Greek is baptizo. It's used 77 times. It always means to, to dip or to immerse or to submerge. Why do we get submerged under the water? Well, submerging is a New Testament pattern. For example, in Mark 1, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Do you ever wonder why John chose a river? Why a river? Why not just gather some water and sprinkle it over them? Why did John get into a river, a large body of water? Because you needed more water to submerge. You needed more water. The New Testament pattern is to be submerged. Okay, but like, what's the purpose of baptism? And baptism not, is important not only because it's a command of Christ, it is a public declaration of a new association. Public declaration, new association of your faith, of your identity with Christ. Just like my wedding ring, right? It is my public declaration of my association to my wife. If I'm not wearing the ring, does it mean I'm not married to her? No. I'm still associated with her, but if I had it off and just met you, hi, my name is Mike, now you don't know. Right? It's because I love her and to show you. This is who I'm associated with. It's also an illustration of what happened to you, in you, because of Christ. A physical picture of a spiritual reality. An outward sign, as Pastor John likes to say, of an inward change. It's why I would suggest that Hey, if you, you are going to baptize in two, two weeks, invite your friends, every friend, every neighbor, every family member, because it's a wonderful, wonderful illustration of what Christ has done for you. So why do we make such a big deal about it? Honestly, baptism is something that Jesus commanded us to do. Here's Jesus' goodbye speech. Hey, I'll see you later. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say, go make disciples and build churches. It doesn't say, go make disciples and occasionally pray before you eat food. It says, go make disciples and baptize them. And the other question you might say, I, I don't get it, is because you're confused about this question. Do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Does that have to do with salvation? 
But some people say that baptism is actually what saves you. But no, the issue of salvation is belief. It's not baptism. It's not baptism that saves you. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. That's Ephesians 2. Or better put it in Romans 10, verse 9. Here's really clear. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Not baptism. Or consider the thief, consider the, the thief on the cross next to Jesus as Jesus is getting crucified. He was declared saved by Christ, yet we know the thief never experienced water baptism before he died. So does baptism save you? No. It's the outward sign, hey everybody, of the inward change. I'm different. The second overarching reason I hear, or I think what's standing in your way for not getting baptized is, I'm not ready. What happens is people will say, well, you know, you know what, I just, I'm not sure I'm ready get baptized. I'm going to have to think about it. In my opinion, and here's where you're going to start not liking me, according to scripture, it's really clear all over the book of Acts, people got saved, they got baptized. They got, and in that order, saved, baptized. For instance, it was at the end of Peter's sermon, right after the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, same Peter who denied Jesus, St. Peter, who Jesus said, upon you I'll build my church. That Peter, speaking to the crowd at Pentecost, Acts 2, this is what he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. There's the inward change. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what, what do we do? It makes sense. I get it. I'm changed. And Peter goes, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. People heard the good news. They got it. They were saved. They believed. And then they were baptized that day. The Ethiopian we, we just read about with Philip, Philip explained Jesus to him. He accepted Jesus. Stop the chariot! Where's water? Found some water, got baptized. How about the guy who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, Paul. Paul, who was at first persecuting and murdering Christians for believing in this whole Jesus guy. In Acts 9, you should go read it. It's a really cool story. I don't have time to get into all of it. But he has an encounter with the, Jesus. Is literally blind. For th I can't see for three days. Imagine being blind for, like, for three whole days. And then when he regains his sight again, this is Acts 9, 18, it says, instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. First of all, ew. But then he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And I could point out a lot more, but for the sake of time, I won't. I also realize that it's possible to think you're not ready. I'm, I'm not, Mike, I'm not ready. Because you think your life isn't in order. I got to get all these things straightened out first. Or you're still full of sin, full of shame, 
So you think, I've got to get rid of all that sin. For, let, me, let me get it right first. Let me deal with these issues. I got I to gotta be good enough. I have to get out of this like shame mentality. I've got to get over this first. And then I'll, then I'll get in the water. Because I, I just don't deserve to be in the water, Jesus. Like, no, not this. No. You think you're not good enough. So you're not ready to get in the water. Look at me. God, his heart for you, he wants you to come just as you are. Not perfect. That's not the point. That's not the good news. You certainly don't see the disciples getting their life perfect, their life in order first and then get baptized. You don't see that. Because if you're waiting to be ready, to be good enough, odds are, or acceptable enough, odds are you'll never be baptized. Or people will say, I just want to understand it more. I'm not ready. I want to understand it more. Let me get my mind wrapped around it first, and then I'll get in the water. But do you realize, in the New Testament, there's, there's nothing about a baptism class. We read Acts 9, there's nothing about that. We do it so you can help understand it. But honestly, the effect of baptism, the significance of baptism, the power behind it has nothing to do with your understanding of it. The scriptures do not prescribe that you and I understand baptism before we're baptized. Because baptism is not about your personal experience. It's not about you. It's not, it's not about me. Though there will be an experience. But it's not about that. It's about your personal obedience saying, Jesus, I'm going with you. So let's do this. As Christians, baptism is a command. It's not something you do when you feel ready. It's not something you do when you're perfect or feel good enough. The reality is you and I are not good enough. <laughs> I'm not good enough. That's why we need Jesus. And when we realize that he's the one, when he's the one that redeems us, not me that redeems me, then baptism is what you do as a symbol of recognizing that. You don't have to be perfect to get in the water. You just have to be willing. It's what you do when you've been saved. It's something you do as soon as you've been saved. Third reason. I think people don't want to get in the water. I don't need to. And you think you don't need to for one of two reasons. Either you've been baptized as an infant, or you just don't want to get wet. So what about infant baptism? I can't have a sermon about it, baptism without talking a little bit about it. And some of you would say, I've been baptized as an infant. Do I need to get baptized again as an adult? And maybe some of you come from a background where you've been baptized as an infant. Where did infant baptism come from? I want to take a quick moment right, and, take, and talk about the roots of that really, really quickly. And, and all of this, I know, is possibly sensitive. So I say in a full kindness and gentleness, please hear that. And I hope you hear my heart in that. But infant baptism or sprinkling water is not found in Scripture. Until the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church baptized infants by immersion. And it was only in 1311 at the Council of Ravenna that they began to sprinkle. And the Roman Catholic Church doctrinally says this, the infant baptism is a ritual of regeneration, that the infant is saved through baptism. 
So if you've grown up Catholic, you know, you know this, that it's the sacraments of the church and the participating in those that is the means of grace, the means of salvation. So Jesus' death on the cross merely gives you access to the sacraments as the means of salvation? That's the big difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. Catholicism teach, still teaches today that water cleanses a baby from original sin. It's water that does that, not Jesus. Furthermore, theology teaches that if a baby is not baptized and then dies, it goes to a place called limbo. And Catholic theology would strongly encourage people to baptize their infants to keep them from going there. But the thing is, that's not in the Bible. Martin Luther, the reformer, essentially the founder of Lutheranism, was strong on justification through faith. You're saved by faith, by believing and following Jesus. But he never, I found interesting when I was reading this, he never disentangled himself from infant baptism. And he wrote a book entitled The Baptismal Booklet, a little book. And in it, he stated that he believed that baptism cleansed the baby of sin. And when he was asked how he could affirm that and still believe in justification through faith, he stated that somehow the infant must be able to believe. So teaching that baptism makes salvation possible, again, not, not found in Scripture. There is nothing in the New Testament about salvation apart from personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Infant baptism isn't commanded. It's not really illustrated. And ultimately, if it's not in the scriptures, then we should not build a doctrine on it. And then the follow-up question is, if I was baptized as an infant, should I be rebaptized? Well, according to the New Testament, if you were not baptized, immersed in water, following your personal decision to follow Jesus, then it doesn't matter if you were baptized a thousand times as a baby or if you were born in the ocean. Take you a second. There you go. Back to, I mean, back to Peter's sermon in, in, in Acts 2. When, when were people baptized? After Peter says, repent and be baptized. It's Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message, they hear it, they hear Jesus, they accept it, they believe, then they were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. That day, not the following year. Not earlier as a baby, that, that day. The other reason people think they don't need to, I don't need to, is that it really comes down to, well, it just comes down to pride. I don't want to get wet. They've gone for so long without being baptized that now to get baptized would be an admission or public profession of a long-term Maybe disobedience, maybe ignorance. You don't want to admit that you might have been wrong. It, it would be a very humbling experience to say, you know what? I haven't done this, and I need to do this simply because I'm going to honor God with my life. Not honor me, with my, honor God with my life, even if it costs me public opinion or reputation. Or there's some people that would say, like I said earlier, you know what, I just don't want people to see me wet. Nobody 
who sees you in the water is going to be thinking, oh, that's what they look like wet. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know what they're thinking? They're thinking, wow, look at what God did. Now look at you. And because of your testimony, they're going to be praising God. Oh, I see that. Oh, God, that's awesome. It makes me think of when Jesus was baptized. You know, enter, the, enter that scene with me. Like, Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist standing in the, in the river, telling the crowds to repent, and he's baptizing them. And then in walks Jesus. And he asks John, hey, John, I need you to baptize me. What? John didn't want to baptize Jesus. He wanted the other. No, you baptize me. You have no sin. What are you talking about? Why should I baptize you, Jesus? This is for people who repent. You, know, you don't need to get baptized, Jesus. If anyone can use the I don't need to reason, it's you. And Jesus answers in Matthew 3, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this. We got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness? What do you mean? Well, how did Jesus fulfill all righteousness? Here's your Sunday school answer. Eh, by Right? By dying on the cross. Why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't have to. But he did it to identify with you and associate with you as sinners, as the, as the example, so that we could follow him. You see that? So baptism is in water, is symbolic to Jesus' death and resurrection. Here's what Jesus was essentially saying when he got baptized. I'm, I got to get baptized. We got to do this. Because my death and my resurrection, it's going to fulfill all unrighteousness to where I get to say, it's finished. And my baptism is a symbolic illustration of that death and resurrection. And when you and I get baptized, that's exactly what we're saying. Exactly what happens. We are showing what happened to Jesus. And what happened in us. Something in us had to change. Something in me needed to die. I admit it, Jesus. There's something in me. It's got to go. And I've tried all the things to make it go. It's just not, it's just not working. Until you, Jesus. You identified with me. So now I'm going to identify and associate with you. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who knows it. I don't care what people think about me. I'm not just going to believe in you. I'm going to literally follow you. My life is changed and changing all because of you, Lord. And so that's when I ask you, church, for those of you who say you believe. And then what happened? It's your turn to answer that question. And I want your answer to be, and then I got baptized. Because my life is about Jesus. So be certain of, be certain of this. I need to like shout this at you. 
It is not to make Mendham Hills look good. I don't care. It's not to make your family members happy. It's not to make you look more spiritual. It's to glorify God, period. To bring all the attention, all of our gaze to the Lord. Amen. That's why. And I have to be honest, I think that there is a tough and sobering reality if you still say no. I don't want to. I'm not ready. I don't give. I will not get baptized. If you're not willing to be baptized, then you have to face the fact that well, you're disobeying Jesus at the most basic element of discipleship. And in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, you have to examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. I'm not trying to be mean. I certainly don't want you to be baptized because of guilt. No, no way. I'm just trying to give it to you straight. Clearly, the Bible calls us to be baptized. If you're a Christian and you're not willing to be baptized or you've never been baptized, at some point, once you have the information and you're still going, yeah, Mike, I, really, I just, no. I'm not willing to say, you know, I'm going to be baptized. Then you have to ask yourself, have I really submitted my life to Jesus? Because Christians are Christians for following not believing. Luke 6 says, you know, when Jesus asks him, why do you call me Lord? And don't do what I ask. What it, what's interesting is, in my own life, what, compel, what, what compelled me, what compelled Mike to follow Jesus? Someone loved me enough to show me, hey, this is what scripture says. This is what scripture teaches. And I said, okay, I get it. I got baptized in a KOA campground pool. Whoop-de-doo. You get to go baptize yourself in a cool lake. Not that that should matter. But I, I just knew, once I got the information, once I was saved, I just had to. And for some of you, I ask, what's your story? You accept Jesus, you believe, and you're dedicating your life to following him. And then what happened? The most important question you can answer is, are you willing to follow Jesus? And listen, instantly there's something in each of us that says, well, hey, if I'm going to say I'm going to follow Jesus, then I'm also saying that there's other things that I won't do. What about my friends are going to, what about what my friends are going to think? What are my parents going to think? What about my, my husband, my, my wife, my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend will think? My coworkers, my neighbors. I want you to say the same thing that I said when I was baptized. You know what? I'm committed to being Christian. I desire nothing else. I'm not here for blessings, Lord. Jesus, you don't, you don't owe me anything. God, I just want you. Yeah, this, this might cost me. There's stuff in me that needs to die, vainly my own, my own view of myself. It's got to go. But the cost 
is the cost is worth the association and identification with Jesus. It's worth it to me, Lord. That's what I want you to say. Nothing else. I'm a Christian. I don't just believe it. I'll prove it. So in a moment, we're going to stand for a song. And, and as we do, I want you to reflect on the words. There, there will be a video of previous year's baptism going on. And some of you, maybe you'll see yourself having been baptized. Some of you will remember being there. And maybe some of you, this is your call to say, hey, I got to go do that. But I want you to remember that moment and what was being declared in that moment so that you can declare that moment too. Nothing else, Lord. I just want you. Let's stand.